I'm going to tuck that before I fall over. So, I, don't ho- I hope that last week wasn't too challenging. I know it was challenging for me. So, uh, I'm pretty sure it was challenging for many here. But I also hope that um, throughout this last week, you, through your prayers with the Lord, uh, found some areas of your life where you need to break the mould. Just draw closer to him. What is in your life holding you back or hindering you in that next stage with the Lord? So, um, and that will be something that periodically throughout this year we may well just throw back in there just to keep it fresh in our minds because wouldn't it be lovely to get to Christmas this year and to just be in a different place to where we were last week. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, it's a privilege to to stand here, Lord, to speak to your people. Lord, we recognise, I recognise, that we, uh, that I am just a mere under-shepherd to you, Lord. This is your church, this is your people. Lord, and I submit my whole body, my life, my thoughts and my being to you this morning, Lord. Thank you for placing on my heart what I have to share today. And I just pray that you open up the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are carrying on, or should I say starting to carry on, with our journey through Luke's Gospel, which I'm very excited about. Our focus today is to refresh our minds for, uh, with, with really what we've studied last year, what we've explored last year, because uh, I'm aware that, that we do have some people who weren't, well, that w- weren't with us during that, so that would be helpful. But also, we're going to explore where we're heading next. So today is a bit of a prelude, it's a bit of a um, you know, in films, in some films, right at the beginning, you get that five minutes of story of what's happened before the film, the actual story in the film. You go back over the history of whatever it is. That's a bit of what we're doing today. All right, we're preparing ourselves, laying some sound foundations in preparation, really, for next week. Okay, so please stay with me. But can you believe that it was September 26th? last year that we took a momentary pause in our journey through Luke and the account of his, uh, of Jesus' life. A journey I hope and pray has helped and will continue to help us all uh, remind us of how important Christ Jesus was and is still. A journey not just of biblical understanding, of intellectual understanding, but one that will encourage us in our ministry as Christians throughout our lives, and one that I pray, I really do pray and and hope that will draw us closer in a personal relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. There were three questions that we asked Throughout, as we are asking throughout this journey in Luke, 
Here's a test. Who can remember the three questions? Oh, come on. Nobody? Right, we're going back to Luke 1 this morning. Okay, we're going to start again. Yeah, so the three questions, I don't want to put any pressure on anybody. So the three questions we're asking as we journey throughout the whole of Luke is who is Jesus? Not who we think he is or who we have been led to believe or grown up thinking. Who actually is he based on what we're looking at through scripture? Who was he? What was his ministry? And what was his mission? And the plan, the reason why we're using those as our foundational questions is to help us to understand who we are in Christ, our ministry, and our mission. That's the whole point of asking those three questions as we explore through this. We began by looking at the reason why Dr. Luke decided to write this letter that we have in our Bibles. And chapter 1, verse 1 gives us that answer. Luke wrote it to give an orderly account to this person called Theophilus. Whoever Theophilus was, we don't know who Theophilus It's a bit of a tongue tie, that one, isn't it? Theophilus was. All we know, or we suspect that he was of someone of quite high stature, of an importance. Luke writes this at the beginning of the letter to Theophilus. He says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honourable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. January 2021, one year ago, we began our journey through Luke by um, starting at Mary and Joseph's journey to the temple in Jerusalem with the baby Jesus, as was the law, the Levitical law, a law that said that every male child 40 days after their birth had to be presented to God at the temple. It was at this time that we were introduced to two characters. One was Anna, the prophetess, and the other one, scripture tells us, was the righteous and devout Simeon, both of whom proclaimed Jesus's, uh, to Jesus' parents and to all who would have been in and around the temple at that time of how important this child was. After this encounter, Jesus and his parents then returned to Nazareth where we are told, and I quote, the child, Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favour of God was upon him. We paused here, if you remember, to answer a fundamental question which would help us in our journey of asking one of the questions, who was he? And the key was in the verse. We stopped to ask why Jesus, being the Son of God, God himself, God incarnate, needed to grow and to learn as humans do. And we explored the whole area of 
Jesus being God and man, or fully, fully God, fully man in the one person of Christ Jesus and the, the hypostatic union. We then continued into chapter 2 by looking at the family's journey to the Passover festival when Jesus was 12, the same festival where Mary and Joseph quite famously left Jesus behind. How embarrassing that must have been for them. However, God had a plan. And John preached on the significance of Jesus' reply to them that I must be in my father's house when they finally found him in the temple sitting with the teachers. That must have been quite a surreal experience for the parents, I'm sure. Then after Easter, we explore chapter 3 where we were introduced to an incredibly important figure, John the Baptist. We spent quite a few weeks looking at John the Baptist, if you remember. We looked at his primary message of preparing the way for the coming Messiah and his invitation to his listeners to receive the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of their sins an invitation in response to their rebellious nature toward God. That journey took us five months, five months of exploring Jesus' early years, his growing and his learning, and of looking and exploring the prophecies of, or that had come to pass because of Jesus' coming into the world. But then the focus changed. It was less about Jesus the boy and those who were speaking into and talking about the prophecies that have been uh, fulfilled through him. Now Jesus comes forth into the story as Jesus the man, the God-man, ready to undergo his final preparations before he starts his earthly ministry. He was baptised by John the Baptist. He received the Holy Spirit upon himself. And then he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit in order to be tested by the devil via temptations. We ask the question, why did God allow Jesus to be tempted? And we looked at two primary reasons, them being the devil was allowed, we have to always remember that, the devil was allowed to ascertain Jesus' human nature and the quality of person that Jesus was. And secondly, and most importantly, the devil was allowed to test Jesus' faith toward God the Father. This event providing a glimpse, a glimpse of the journey and testing that all followers, all disciples of Jesus get tempted and tested with. That includes us in this room. And then Jesus begins his ministry. It was during our journey through chapter 4 that we saw that Jesus himself confirmed who he was and why he was here during a visit to the local synagogue in Nazareth. 
We read that on being invited to read and speak during the service in the synagogue, he opened the book of Isaiah and read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he said, today, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus had publicly announced that he was Messiah, long foretold by claiming to be the person who Isaiah was speaking of in this passage. And it was during this same service that Jesus preached his first sermon. The famous no prophet is accepted in their own town sermon. The Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus, with the authority of God the Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit, begun that day to, uh, to preach in the kingdom of God here on earth. Himself, by divine appointment, being the king of that kingdom, and inviting all and anyone to become citizens of that kingdom. An invitation that still stands today. Isn't that a wonderful thing? What a wonderful thing. And as we moved through chapters 5 and 6, we followed Jesus' earthly ministry as he set about sharing this good news and supporting his claim with miraculous signs and wonders by casting out a demon from the man in the synagogue in Capernaum, healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, cleansing a leper, healing a paralytic man, calling his first followers who would later take the gospel message into the, into the world and upsetting the religious institute of the day by challenging them on their lifestyles and their teaching. I mean, come on. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't get much more exciting than that, does it? Or maybe that's just me. This journey through Luke with all its ups and downs, challenges, emotions, excitement and everything else that we may have read, experienced ourselves, is uh, so much better than any Marvel film, isn't it? <laughs> Well, I've got some shakes of the heads here. I'm sure if the youth were down here, they're, oh, oh sorry, the old, uh, our older youth. Is it better than Marvel film? No, no. Putting you on the spot then, aren't I? It's better than any TV sitcom. It's even better than Saturday night TV entertainment, including The Masked Singer. Oh, that's it. People are going to get up and walk out now, aren't they? Disgusted. It's better than any novel, yeah. any magazine, yeah. any computer game, anything at all. And I'm sure and I hope you agree with me. <coughs> I hope you do. <laughs> all right, fair enough. It may not be as appealing as any of those things that I have just spoken to, but let me tell you, mm -hmm. unlike these other streams of superficial 
entertainment, because that's exactly what they are. Okay? The contents of this book, the contents of this book is real and true. The contents of this book is life-changing, and it is life-saving. That's why, that's why we, we explore and journey through these words in here. They're not just words, they're alive. God breathed. I'm going off topic. Well, it's important when we've taken such a big gap just to refresh our memories of what we've, the journey we've been on. And hopefully I've just given you a quick overview there of what we have done in preparation for us to look forward to where we're heading next. As Steve very, very helpfully did for us uh, in November, gave us a, a, an overview of what we'd studied as well, just to keep it fresh in our minds. Just to encourage you, if you haven't been part of that journey with us, um, all of those messages are, I think they're on YouTube, and so if you wanted to, to go back and explore and listen to in more depth what I've just gone into, please go back over a cup of tea and a bourbon biscuit and, uh, and have a listen. So what now? Well, for the next six weeks, we shall be continuing our exploration through Luke, picking up where we finished off, looking at Jesus' second recorded sermon. Jesus' second recorded sermon. It's a sermon that is just full of rich truth and challenge, the contents of which are as relevant for us today as they were 2,000 years ago to those people who he first spoke it to. This sermon is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Sermon on the Plain. So for the rest of our time together this morning, I shall just be giving a brief overview of this sermon before we look at delving into the sermon and its richness next week and for five weeks after that. Is that okay? Brilliant. Good. So, if you have your Bibles with you, we are going to turn to Luke 6, starting from... Uh, Luke 6, verse 17. And we're going to read this sermon. So it is, it is a little chunky bit of passage, okay, but just work with us here. It's not as, it's not as long as the, uh, as, as the sermon in, in Matthew, right? So we're all right. We'll be here till dinner time if we uh, worked our way through that one. So Luke 6, 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. 
looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn on him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have done to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as the Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also, he also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. 
A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, down deep, and laid the foundations on the rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not, it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck, that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Isn't it wonderful? In essence, I could just read that, and then we could all just go home. There's the message for today. The challenge with it is there is so much in there. And I'm sure we're still probably thinking about the first thing that challenged us, let alone the last thing that challenged us. So it's held before us to spend some time exploring that. I hope you would agree. So to give us some context as to where this powerful and important sermon of Jesus was set, we must look back just a few verses in Luke 6, 12 to 13. And it says this, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So Jesus, as he often did, took himself away one evening up into a mountain, up the side of a mountain, and pray to God. We are told when morning broke, he called all his disciples to him. Remember, he's not talking about the 12 here, because he hasn't chosen the 12 by this point. He was calling however many disciples he had. Could have been hundreds, we, just, we don't know. But all the disciples that were with him at that point, he called to himself. And out of those who went, Jesus called 12 to be the apostles his chief disciples and his pioneer missionaries. Now, some of you, I'm sure, may be sitting there thinking this sermon sounds awfully familiar, that you uh, may have read that before in Matthew's, similar, something similar anyway, in Matthew's Gospel. Is it the same message? Is it the same sermon? And before we can explore Luke, we really do need to try and at least have some sort of idea whether it was or not. So to help us find that possible answer, let's compare some aspects of the two. Both sermons have strikingly similar or similarities between them. But there is also differences between them as well. Now, we don't have time this morning to read the whole of the sermon, Jesus' sermon in Matthew's account of Jesus' life. <laughs> it's pretty long, as I'm sure many of you will know. So for those who aren't familiar 
with it. Can I encourage you, if you've got a homework, to go back this afternoon, over your cup of tea and your board and biscuit, and read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Okay, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And you will um, hopefully see that there is a lot of similarities between what we're about to explore over these coming weeks and Matthew's gospel account. Though time doesn't permit us to read the sermon in Matthew, I do want to highlight three, really three um, differences between the two of them to help us answer, is it the same is it the same sermon, just recorded twice or not? Number one, where the sermon was delivered is the first difference I just want to briefly highlight. In Luke's sermon on the plain, which we've just read, Jesus delivers his message on a level plain. On a level plain, we read he went down with them and stood on a level plain before he began teaching. But in Matthew's gospel, he delivered the Sermon on the Mount after going up the mountain and he sat down before he preached. For those who may or may not know, the Jewish rabbis would tend to sit down to share messages. Okay? In Matthew 5, 1 it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and then he began to teach. So now you can have uh, a level plain up on the side of a mountain. Anyone that's been up a mountain will know that there are level sections on, on mountain ranges. So is it possible that they are the same accounts through... Hmm. Is it possible that they're the same account? Jesus it seems did some differences in both of these. Luke said he came down from the mountain before ministering. Matthew said Jesus sat down up on the mountain and began ministering. Who knows? It's a possibility. Number two, the amount of content in this sermon compared to Matthew's. You'll quickly notice, I'm sure, that after reading both sermons, the sermon in Matthew's account is very long. Very, very long. And it covers a lot of content. So, after you've read that and refreshed your memory of it this afternoon, please don't ever come and complain about my messages are long. Because right? I'm sure they would have been there a long time listening to Jesus preach it. But the sermon recorded in Luke's Gospel is considerably smaller. It doesn't contain the extended teaching on the law found in Matthew, but unlike the sermon in Matthew, the sermon in Luke includes various woes. It's a word we don't hear very often, is it? Woe. A woe is a thing that can cause worry and distress, opposed to what a terminology that we'll get used to, the beatitude, which in essence is, is just a blessing. It means a blessing. So the content is different. And the audience seemed to come, this is the third point, I just want to just highlight to us, the audience seems to come from different places. Remember, many of Jesus' disciples 
uh, were there because they would be travelling with him, which now includes, obviously, the twelve. But we are also told that as well as his great crowd of disciples, as the scripture tells us, there were a great multitude of people there also, quite presumably uh, intrigued people who had heard Jesus and had come out to hear him and to see what it was all about. In Luke's account, the multitude consists of people from all Judea and Jerusalem in southern Israel, and uh, people from the sea, uh, sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which was primarily a Gentile area, a non-Jewish area. But in Matthew's account, we read that the multitude still consisted of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, but also people from Galilee up in the north, the Decapolis, if I said that right, which I'm led to believe means ten cities, Um, and I'm formally informed that it was a Roman Gentile uh, region to the southeast of the Sea of Galilee. And then we'll also read that there were people also from the region across the Jordan River to the east of Israel. Now, please don't worry if your geography is rubbish. Okay, where they're coming from is not necessarily the important thing. Uh, the important thing for us to remember is this, is the vastness of the area that people come from and the apparent difference in audiences on both of these messages. Now, it is possible that Luke's sermon on the plane is simply a condensed version of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, but it is widely considered and widely thought that it seems more likely that Jesus preached a similar sermon with similar content on two different occasions in two different locations. Isn't that, do we not see that in preachers today? Yeah, they'll use similar, they, they'll take a message they've already preached and then they will, as long as the Lord leads, adapt it for a different audience, different church, different congregation maybe that they're going towards. Yeah, so we still see that, that happen today if the Lord still wants to use that message. And it's, as we move forward over these next six weeks exploring this, um, that's the view that I would like us to consider that this is a, it's a similar sermon, similar content, but it's adapted for the people who Jesus was reaching on this sermon on the plane. So before we look briefly at the content of this sermon, we must ask the question, who is Jesus preaching this sermon to? Who is he aiming it at? Any, any answers? We did read it. Who's he aiming it at? Secondary, yes, to all of us, but in this context, he's aiming at the disciples. At all his disciples. Okay. Are we Jesus' disciples? So he's also aiming what the contents of this to us now, as he was on the side of that mountain. Yeah? So that's how we are going to be moving forward as we explore this. That if Jesus was here physically in person today, he will be aiming that message at every single one of us in this room. 
okay? Not on the non-believer who may not know Jesus out there. So we hope that they will come to say, yes, that, that means me. That's our prayer, as it should always be. Um, so, the Sermon on the Plain begins with some beatitudes, some blessings. Isn't it wonderful to begin with some blessings? Jesus pronounces blessings on the poor. He says, yours is the kingdom of God. He pronounces blessings on the deprived, for you will be satisfied. The sorrowful, for you will laugh. And the persecuted, and he says, great is your reward in heaven. That in itself should give us all so much hope. Hope. But immediately following the blessings, Jesus pronounces a series of woes. Those things that I'm sure if he was here preaching to us, we really wouldn't want to hear. But some woes. Speaking of the tragedy of being rich, we'll explain that when we get to the point, okay? He said, you have already received your comfort. On being satisfied, he said, you will go hungry. Of being carefree, you will mourn and weep. And then the dangers of aiming to be popular. Of aiming to be popular. Jesus then challenges them to reverse their thinking, which I, I find fascinating. Because 2,000 years on, we still struggle with this reverse thinking. And it's this. It's simply this. Heaven's value system is far different from the world's value system. Would we agree with that? Yes, we would. He says, don't get caught. Sorry, he doesn't say, this is the overview, don't get caught up in the world's way of ranking things. Don't get caught up in it because it's prone to error. Then Jesus goes on to give seven startling commands Love your enemies. We could all pause there, couldn't we, and struggle. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who use you spitefully. Turn the other cheek to the one who strikes you and give generously to everyone who asks you. And finally, Jesus lays down the golden rule, do to others as you would like it done to yourself. Pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Pretty powerful. And what I love about it is it's all there to build us up. It's not there to slap us down. All of these things are to build us up, to be the people that he wants us to be and needs us to be. Isn't that wonderful? It's not a chore. It's not a punishment. It's, it's, it's revitalizing if we surrender ourselves to it and be guided by his spirit in all of these areas. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Of course it's not going to be easy. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful journey that we get to go on. As Jesus continues the Sermon on the Plain, he moves into talking about judging others. Something that we can all fall foul of. 
And in doing so, he points to four principles that affect our everyday lives. Principle one, the principle of reciprocation. There's another tongue twister. Those who have ever used the saw, just think about it going back and forth. It's just reciprocate saw. Okay? So it's you do one thing, what something else is going to happen. You do something else, then there's going to be a consequence of that as well. Okay? The principle of leadership, the principle of perspective, and the principle of harvest. So in teaching about reciprocation, Jesus says that if you dish out judgment, you can expect to get judgment in return. If you give condemnation, you will get condemnation. But if you extend forgiveness, what's the return? You will receive forgiveness. In speaking of leadership, Jesus teaches that it matters whom you follow because you will go where your leader goes and you will become like them. But on the flip side, he talks to the leaders and he says, it also matters how you lead. Blind leaders of blind <coughs> will end up catastrophically, oh, sorry, it will end up catastrophic for all parties, leader and follower. And then turning to the matter of perspective, Jesus says that we are often blind to our own faults. Is that not true? We are blind to our own faults and we must beware of hypocrisy when we are trying to help other people. That's a real struggle, that one. Rather than identifying and criticising the small shortcomings in the lives of those around us, of our brothers and sisters, we must learn to recognise our own personal faults and ask the Lord to help us in those areas. Jesus then uses the principle of the harvest to teach the importance of personal holiness before God. The fruit matches the tree. A good heart will bring forth good fruit and good words. A bad fruit we know the rest. Well, why is this sermon important to us? For believers and disciples of Jesus today, I would say it is incredibly important. Incredibly important. We are very blessed. We are very blessed. Our eternal salvation is secure in Jesus. It was by God's grace, through faith in Jesus alone, that we have received newness of life. That in itself is something to celebrate. We are cared for. We are loved. We are supported and protected so in essence, we, we could, if we wanted to, sit back and just relax in that divine truth. Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
but it's not as simple as that. Because we still live, we still live in essence, uh, in a world that will continually want to pull us back, pull us off track. We all experience this every day of the week. It's all around us, all the time. So though I do not believe that we have to earn our salvation through works, I do believe that we as Christians still need to actively work with the help of the Holy Spirit to be the best representatives and ambassadors we can be for Christ in the areas in our lives that he has placed us. And that's why this sermon, and, it, and also the sermon in Matthew, are fundamental teachings in the life of a believer. Teachings that we must learn and we must adhere to. Jesus confirms this as he brings his sermon to an end. He challenges his disciples, us also, to follow through with his commands. It's not enough just to call Jesus Lord. It's not enough for us to stand here on a Sunday morning and just call him Lord and just sing a song. We must actually do what he tells us. Throughout the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus points to eternity and commands us to be farsighted. Farsighted. To live in light of heaven. And he points to himself as the standard of righteousness and the very foundation of every single one of our lives. That's precious. <clears throat> Jesus finishes his sermon the famous parable, the person, the, the, the man who built his house on a rock. Those who obey the Lord will be unshaken like a house built on a solid rock. Those who disobey or ignore the Lord's commands will be like a house with no foundation. They will experience a tragic collapse. I know that this has been a bit of a whistle-stop tour today of where we've been and where we're heading but I hope that it's intrigued you as we head on to explore this sermon. And I hope that it will inspire you all to come with hearts open, ready to apply all that we learn into our everyday lives. Because in doing so, not only will we be blessed, but we will be a blessing to every single person that we come into contact with. And wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Amen. Should we pray? Well, Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord, we do love your word. We love your truth. Lord, we come before you, Lord, and we admit to you that it's challenging. It's hard. We don't find following your commands easy. And we do ask your forgiveness for that. But Lord, we also thank you that you gave us a helper. You gave us the gift of your Holy Spirit. And it's in your name and through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we can live as you need us to live and be the people, the ambassadors that you need us to be for your kingdom here on earth. So Lord, inspire us 
uh, encourage us and equip us as we head off into this week. In Jesus' name, amen.